telling somebody. I know I don't look it. I don't look it. I don't look it. And I, I be honest with you, I sure don't feel it. And uh, God's been doing some incredible things in this season of my life. One of them is, is uh, a man in Birmingham owns a company, construction company. And uh, he is a sold-out believer. He has about 175 employees. And, uh, and he loves those employees, and he wants every one of them to know Jesus. And uh, so the, what he did was he asked me if, uh, if I would come in his company every week, walk around and talk to his employees, tell them that I love them, tell them God loves them, tell them that I'm praying for them, ask them if they need anything. And every time the door cracks open, I can share the gospel with them. I've been doing it for three weeks, and I've already led two men to Jesus Christ on their job. Come on, somebody. Uh, last Thursday, I was standing in the middle uh, of a dirt field where uh, they were working on Alabama Power Building, and right there, a 26-year-old uh, young man with a wife and a little baby gave his heart to Jesus Christ on his lunch hour. Come on, somebody. God is doing it. And then in uh, just a couple of weeks ago, me and my wife uh, moved out of our home of 26 years, a 2,600-square-foot house, and we are moving into a 1,500-square-foot second-story apartment building. Yes. But the reason we are doing that is is because this apartment complex is, has 1,066 units, over 6,000 people living in their community. And, and they need community relationships built. So we're going in there as kind of like community coordinators. We're going to hold events and build relationships and help the tenants build relationships together. What they don't know is, is that we're going in as missionaries because 95% of the people that live in multi-family uh, dwellings or apartment complexes, they do not know Jesus and they're unchurched. So we've got a mission field of over 5,000 people and we're moving there with one sole purpose and that is to see if we can get people to accept Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. I believe we can and we need you to pray for us. We need to be your missionary. Come on, somebody. And, and I believe, I tell you, I never knew I'd be doing all of this. I'm still doing everything I was doing. Now I've added all this at 63 years old, but I feel like I'm right in the middle of what God's wanting me and my wife to do with our lives. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Well, it's good to be back at Grace. And I think the last time I was here, I talked to y'all and told you about my roller coaster story. Uh, back in 1981, I rode one roller coaster with my then fiance, uh, who later became my wife, and I told God, if you get me off of this roller coaster, it was the mind bender. It did more than bend my mind. I told God, if you'll get me off of it, I'll never get back on another roller coaster for the rest of my life. And I did not do that for 40 years. For 40 years, I stayed off of them. But in 2021, for a very specific reason, uh, my two grandsons, I have a grandson that is six and nine. They were then four, uh, three and seven. I wanted to, to get closer to them. 
And they moved to Lakeland, Florida, about an hour from Orlando, Florida, that is filled with theme parks and roller coasters. And I knew that my grandsons one day would want me to ride a roller coaster with them, and I was not going to be a scaredy cat pop-pop. Come on, somebody. So, so on purpose, in June of 2021, my wife went with me, and we went with another church, and we went to Silver Dollar City and rode five of the fastest, highest, flippingest, twirlingest, screamingest roller coasters. I overcame my fear. I kept my eyes open the whole time. I had the time of my life. And then in December, right after that, watch this, in December, December the 26th of that same year, we were walking through one of those theme parks and my grand said, grandson said, let's ride the roller coaster, Pop Pop. And I said, let's go. And we did. And we did again this year. Come on, somebody. You see, I was pursuing my grandchildren, so I did whatever I had to do. I had to get in their world. I had to do what was important to them. I had to find out what they were involved in, and I had to let go of whatever was getting in my way to get into their world. And I want to talk to you about that today. I want to talk to you about pursuing God because God talks a lot about it in his word. And, and in fact, when my daughter Destiny, she was here with us, I think, one time when I, me and my wife came. And, and uh, she's uh, about 32 years old. She's a nurse and an entrepreneur and has a real estate license and all of this stuff. And she's still isn't married and don't have me any grandkids yet. Don't, don't, don't tell her I said that. But anyway, I want some more grandchildren. Can I have an amen? But, but when she was three and four years old, I would, I would chase after her. I wanted to get a kiss and snuggles, and she would run from me. No, no. Y'all know how kids do. And she would run around. And one day, I, I had this idea. I stopped running, and I said, you can't catch me. And I took off running. And guess what she did? She took off chasing me. And she chased me and chased me and chased me. And when she, I, the minute I went around a corner in a bedroom, I got down on my hands like this, on my knees like this. And the minute she rounded the corner, I grabbed her and she grabbed me and said, I got you. Well, let me ask you something. Who was pursuing who? Was she pursuing me or was I pursuing her? Because, because I believe today I'm going to talk to you about pursuing God, but I really believe that God is pursuing you. Every one of us in this room. In fact, God has been giving me this message, and, and I believe it's probably a message for our entire nation, for the church in America, because I believe that, that the church, as we know it, is in trouble in America. In fact, uh, 60,000 churches have closed in the last three years in the United States. 60,000 churches has closed. Church attendance has dropped about 30%. And even though and now we're two years beyond COVID, three years beyond COVID, we're still not seeing it. We're still 30% less than we were in February of 2020. And people have walked out and left. And, and, and the same thing was happening in the, in the New Testament. You see, there was, a, there was this, this great revival that happened in Acts chapter 2. We call it the day of Pentecost. When, uh, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and Peter began to preach 
And 3,000 Jews gave their heart to Jesus Christ that day. And they were Jews from all over the world. And, and then a, a few days later, 5,000. And the Jewish people were coming to Christ in thousands upon thousands. They were meeting in homes, eating their meals together, studying the apostles' doctrine together, going to the temple and praising God together. And, and then something happened the government, the Roman government under the leadership of one of the most wickedest, vile men named Nero. You can look at it in history. History will tell you about him. He began persecuting the church. He began, he began feeding them to lions. We're, we're worried we're going to lose our tax-exempt status. That's what we're worried about. These people were being fed to lions because of their faith. They were, they were being butchered. They were being burned alive at the stake. They would have oil poured on them and, 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 and trying to get them to denounce their faith. And, and many, many, many were dying for the cause of Christ. We got a headache and can't come to church. Come on, I need a better amen. And, and, but what was happening was it caused all of these believers to flee Jerusalem because everybody knew where they were. They, they were all in this one city. So it caused them to flee and go all over the world. And when they went all over the world, they went in. See, Israel was a God nation. It was the people of God. But when they began to disperse, they went to all these Gentile nations that were godless nations that that had godless governments, that nobody knew God. It was full of perversion. It was full of idolatry. It was, it was a culture that was without God completely. And they began to go into these cultures and begin to live. Paul wrote about it to the Romans. And what happened was they began to become the culture they were living in. And James, the brother of Jesus, one of the, listen, one of the greatest proofs that Jesus Christ was the son of God is that his own brother called him Lord after he rose from the dead. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, my brother would have to die and come back for me to call him Lord. Come on, somebody. But James was the apostle of the church, and, and he was hearing about this. So he writes a book called the book of James, and he's writing to the diaspora, those who had been dispersed because of persecution into all these other lands. He had heard what was happening. And if you'll understand that when you read the book of James, it helps you understand why he was writing about the things he was writing about because they had become conformed. Paul said, don't, don't let the culture you live in conform you to itself, press you into its mold. And yet these believers had done that all over the world. Kind of sounds like what's going on in our nation today. And, and so in chapter 4, he opens it up. Of course, it wasn't in chapters and verses then when he wrote it. It was just a letter. When he got down to about three-fourths into his letter, four-fifths into his letter, he starts telling them, you know where all this wars are coming from, all this anger that he's been writing to them about. You know what's going on. Your prayers aren't working anymore. And because your prayers aren't working anymore and you've become like the people of the world, now you're doing it like they are. If, if God going to give it to you, you're going to go after it yourself. You'll lie, you'll cheat, you'll steal, you'll even murder to get what you want because you can't get it from God anymore because you've become like the world. 
And then he uses this language. I'm going to begin in James chapter 4 and verse number 4. He goes into this language. And if you will put that verse up, it's a pretty powerful verse of Scripture. He said, adulterers and adulteresses. Now, boy, that's pretty strong language. Can I, even today, that's pretty strong. Now, he wasn't talking about men and women who were having affairs with other men and women. He wasn't talking about physical adultery. He wasn't talking about marital adultery. He's calling these people adulterers because they have no longer let God be first place in their life. Now they have let other idols and the ways of this world take God's place in their life. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? It, it really means this. He said, don't you know when you try to divide your loyalty and you try to be friendly with the world and do things like the world? Hey, he wasn't talking about doing drugs. He wasn't talking about viewing pornography. He was just talking about becoming like the culture they live in and doing things. They quit being different. They quit being holy. And they became like the culture they lived in he said you actually become an enemy of God you're actually setting yourself against God that's why your prayers aren't getting answered and then he says this he says whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world just a friend of the world I, listen everybody I'm not talking about gambling I'm, I'm not talking about getting drunk I'm talking about just getting friendly with the culture that you live in listening to things you used to not listen to watching things you used to wouldn't watch but it's just little by little now because everybody else is y'all don't get quiet on me if y'all get quiet I preach a long time makes himself an enemy of God. God isn't doing it. He, James is saying, God isn't doing this to you. It's what you're doing to yourself. Go on to verse number five. And then he says this. He says, he says, or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in you yearns jealously? You know what he's saying there? He's saying the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you is jealous because you're doing things without him. He lives in you. He wants to empower you. He wants to help you. But, but it literally in one, in the original Greek, it's the same word as lust. The Holy Spirit has such a craving to work in and through our lives and use us to do things that are limitless, to make a, a difference in our world and be different in our world. But he's inside of us saying, but you won't let me. It's kind of like that little box I used to have on my desk back in the 90s and when you hit that box you could hear this it'd start talking it'd say let me out let me out let me out and the Holy Spirit wants to work through our lives it was uh, it was in the early 90s I'd say 93 94 I was pastoring the church in Aniana and God was being gracious and the church was growing and, and, and people were getting saved and lives were being changed and, and I was way over my head and one day I was walking through the auditorium, it was during the week I was in there by myself and I was just praying and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, Frankie, I want you to sit down and our platform was even shorter than this one, it was only two steps so I didn't have to do anything but do that right there. So I just sat down on the platform and he said, he said I, I need to tell you something, he said, you're, you're good, Frankie. You're a good pastor. And I'm thinking, well, praise God. Thank you, Father. And, and then, then this just rushes through my, 
You are good with me or without me. Now, now I'm just going to be honest with you. It, that, that crushed me. I mean, it, it tore me up. It tore me up because of how this passage goes on. Let me read the next verse to you. But he gives grace, more grace. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Everybody say humble. I'm thinking, God, what do you mean? I mean, listen, if you'd have had to know me back then, I was not proud. I was not arrogant. In fact, I was proud of how humble I was. And when God spoke that to me, it crushed me. I fell face forward in the floor. I was weeping. I was saying, God, I've never thought I could do this without you. But see, God began to talk to me and tell me how I had learned. The, the, the system had raised me how to be a pastor. I knew what songs to sing. I knew how many times to sing the right course. Come on, I need a better amen. I knew what to preach. I knew how to preach it. I mean, but I thought that was being a good pastor. I thought that was what I was supposed to do. I never thought I could do it without God. But he says, and, and so I'm repenting, I'm weeping, I'm crying. And, and I kind of catch myself and you know how you, when the Lord deals with you and you make it right with him, how you feel good. You know, it's kind of like taking a bath on a hot summer day. And I sat back down on that platform and, and he said, I'm not through talking to you. He said, my problem is not that you're good with me or without me. My problem is, is that the church doesn't know the difference. I wonder, I wonder today in your life, what in your life have you gotten so good at that you're good without God in your life? That you're doing it without God in your life? That you've become so proud, although you wouldn't think it of pride, but you think, I can handle this. I can handle my money. Hey, I know what it means to be a husband. Hey, I can be a good dad. I, I, I only call God in when I get over my head and don't know what to do. But most of the time, I can handle it. Where in your life is the Holy Spirit jealous because he wants to open up a whole new dimension of that area of your life, but you're limiting him. You're living so far beneath what he's planned for you because you've gotten good at that part of your life all by yourself. It's kind of like you're, you're using a broom to sweep the auditorium when you got a vacuum cleaner in the closet. You're using a screwdriver trying to hang a picture in a stud wall when you got a, a power drill laying behind you in your toolbox. It's like bicycling uphill when you got a Harley Davidson in the garage. God wants you to quit striving in your own strength and think you're good enough to do it on your own. He wants to take you places, use you to do things that you would never imagine in your life but he's never going to do it to you realize you need God in every area of your life I've never worked in a construction company I didn't even know what a construction company was and now I've had to buy dirt boots come on somebody and, and I've had to learn how to walk in those environments I couldn't do it I wouldn't want to do it one day by myself I'm moving into an apartment after all these years and it's second floor come on somebody I wouldn't do it but God had a plan for my life I didn't even see it coming come on but I want him. I want to do more. I'm not going to do less. I hadn't got good at anything. But he says he gives grace. Grace is not mercy. We confuse grace and mercy. Grace is an actual power. 
Philippians 2 says, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. And then it says this, for it's God who's working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's what grace is. God told Paul, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Grace is strength. You need more strength? Humble yourself and say, God, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not experienced enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm not intellectual enough. I need you. I can't be a good pop, pop, pop by myself. I need the Holy Spirit to help me be a good pop, pop. And listen, if you don't think it was the Holy Spirit helping me ride them roller coasters, you you are lost as a goose. I'd have never been able to ride them without the help of the Holy Spirit. But I had this desire to get close to my grandsons. Now watch what he says here. James, writing to these people who have caved to the culture, look what he says. Therefore, submit to God. Everybody say submit. That's the new S cuss word in the church. We don't want to submit to nobody. Come on, I need a better amen. All right, we're, we're, we're all Democrats because we all have grabbed hold of democracy and we believe we can rule our own world. Boy, it got quiet in here when I said that. We think we can choose what we want and we can't. Not and be who God's called us to be. Submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come on, everybody read that out loud with me. Therefore, submit to God Now, let me help you right here. It's called order. Everybody say order. I've, I've, got, a, I've got a combination lock on a storage building in Sneed, Alabama. Everybody know what a combination lock is? Yeah, 36, 24, 82, 71. 36, 24, 82, 71. That's the four numbers. That's not the order that they go in. I wouldn't have put that on Facebook. Come on, somebody. I can know all four numbers. You can know all four numbers. But unless you get those numbers in the right order, you're never going to open that storage building and get the treasure that is behind that door. I'm talking to people in this room and on Facebook who you have all the promises of God and you're yelling and screaming and you're claiming the scriptures and you're claiming those prophecies that were made over your life and you are, you are wondering why your life is locked up, why there's not financial freedom, why your relationships are not growing, why your kids are not responding, why your parent, why your job is not opening up, why your business is not, you're wondering why. It's because you're out of order. See, there's an order here. You're yelling at the devil, speaking in tongues, saying, I bind you in the name of Jesus, and he is holding you back, and there is nothing you can do about it, and you are asking yourself. In fact, some of you have really already given up. Your faith is dwindling because you've been trying to tell the devil to flee, and he hasn't, and you're now doubting whether that scripture is even real, and now you're beginning to settle that you're gonna have to do it your own way just like the people in James were doing. So I may have to cheat on my taxes since I, I prayed, I've done everything else. Or I, I may have to down this other person where I, I can get their job. My boss will fire them and because, because you're not able to resist the devil anymore. Now watch, hold on with me. Before you can resist the devil and before he will flee, 
What comes first? Oh, y'all quiet. Someone shout those three words out. Submit to God. You know what submit means? Submission means, sub means like a submarine to come under. Mit is, the word mission is to come under the mission of God. So li listen to me just one second. What area of your life is locked up and the devil isn't leaving you? You need to ask yourself, have you went to the word of God and asked God, what, what does your word say about marriage? What does your word say about how I treat my wife? What does your word say about how I respond to my husband? Not, not what the girls at the office or the guys at the shop tell you to do. What does God tell you to do? And until you're submitting to the mission that God has for you as a wife or a husband or as parents or as an employee or as an employer, come on somebody, I'm preaching better than you're letting on. Until you're submitting to the word of God, you can bind the devil all day long. He doesn't have to listen to you because he knows you're not under authority. There was a centurion soldier came to Jesus one day. He said, my servant is sick and dying. I, I need you to heal him. Jesus said, okay, I'll come. He said, no, 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 no. Uh, he was a Roman soldier. He said, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. But watch what he says. He says, but I know that you have authority and you can speak the word only. You know how I know? Now watch how he tells Jesus. He knows Jesus has the authority to speak miles away and the, the, the devil will respond. He said, I know this because I'm a man under authority and I have men under me and I say to this one go and he goes and I say to this one come and he comes. They are not going and coming because of me. They are going and coming because of who I'm representing and whose authority I'm under. Uh-uh, y'all aren't with me yet. Uh, y'all aren't with me yet. Uh, you got a school on this main road out here anywhere? You do, yeah. So I don't know how it works here at y'all's school, but in my school, we're on a four lane in Aniana, Alabama. And in our school, about uh, 7.30 in the morning, uh, there'll be a, a, a car with blue lights on it and, and about a six foot two, 90 pound, 28 year old policeman will walk out in the middle of traffic, walk out in the middle of traffic, hold his hand up and everybody will come to a stop. Now I'm just gonna be honest with you. I, could just, I wouldn't even have to get no momentum. I could just ease up to him and just leave my car in dry. I don't want to have to mash the gas and run right over him. He can't stop me. Who does he think he is? But you know why we stop? Not because of him, but because of that badge and all the others that he is representing that's going to come after us if we do that. The devil does not have to flee until you are submitted to God. He knows authority. He knows the word of God. He quoted it. Come on, everybody. People say he misquoted it. No, he didn't misquote it. He didn't misquote the scripture. Jesus didn't argue with him about the scripture. Jesus said, but I know the whole word. I'm rightly dividing it, and I know what also God says. So ask yourself, what's locked up in your life and is not moving? You need to submit to God. Now, watch what God ends with. This is my text. I, I hadn't even got my introduction finished yet. <laughs> Read it out loud with me. Draw near. Okay, well, sorry. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Who's pursuing who? But he wants you to go first. He says, if you will pursue me, you'll catch me. 
Because the moment you start pursuing me, I'll pursue you. Get in my world. Come after me. Let go of this world that is holding on to you. And he says, he says, he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know what he was saying there? If you read it in the original Greek, he says, your loyalty has been divided. I used to be first and foremost in your life, but something has happened. The culture has begun to press you into its mold. You've begun to live like, act like, talk like, desire what everybody else around you is, and now I'm not first in your life anymore. Boy, y'all are quiet. I didn't want to preach this message. I'll be honest with you. Because I am an encourager. I like to encourage people. But I'm telling you, God has a message for us. See, here's, here's, here's what happens. We come to Jesus like this. This is our life right here. I don't know, I don't know when you came to Jesus. But we come, we come to Jesus with our life already full. Yeah, we, it don't really matter what age or stage you're at. You come to Jesus and your life is full. Like, like this side right here is just working and sleeping. Those are two things you got to do. Come on, everybody. And that's two-thirds of your life. If you, if you just count it up, that's two-thirds of your life. And then this other third is what we've done with the time that we're not eating, uh, sleeping or working. It's all the things we got three kids, and every one of them's in two different sports, and we're four nights a week. Come on, everybody. You know, come on, our grandkids. And we come to Jesus. I, I don't really know what brought you to Jesus. Maybe, maybe you had an addiction and you needed to be set free. Maybe your spouse had died. Maybe your spouse had walked away. I, I don't know. Maybe you got a, a death sentence from a doctor. Maybe, maybe the court system was voting against you. Maybe you lost your job. I don't know what desperation brought you to Jesus. But when you came to Jesus, your life was full. And even though he set you free and he's a big God and you fell in love with him, oh, you couldn't believe that God did that for you. You had heard it told, but now you know for yourself. And so you want to fall in love with Jesus and you want him to be first, but, but your life's already full. And, and, and so, so you keep working, you know, but you, 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 you keep at it, you keep at it. It's just not working. And, and, and you struggle, you struggle, you're, you're overwhelmed, you come to the altar every service, you cry in every worship service because you, it's just not working, you're wondering why it's not working and, and so you keep trying and you keep trying and, and you keep trying and, and, and then, you know, you don't come on Wednesday nights anymore but you still love God, you still come to worship and every worship song, tears are rolling down your cheeks and because you know God did something for you you couldn't do for yourself but your life's so full. And you keep on until you can fit Jesus in your life. And then you wonder why it's not working. You come in at 9.57 and leave while the preacher's saying the final prayer. But you've done your thing. You're binding the devil and he's not running. You got all these promises. You amen the preacher. You amen the preacher while he's preaching. But in your mind, you're thinking, ah, I've tried that. It doesn't work. 
It's because this is what Jesus said. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, this is what Jesus actually said. I want you to see this because, because we have a misconception. Then he said to them all. Everybody say all. Everybody shout all. all. I looked it up in the Greek. It means everyone. He said to them all, if anyone, anyone means anyone, desires to come after me, if you're going to pursue me, let him deny himself. Not, not fit me in. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and the word cross means die. Everybody say die. I got to die to something. I got to die. See, see I'm, I'm afraid too many people come to Christ. They've never heard this before. You don't come to Jesus and fit Jesus in your life. You come to Jesus and fit your life around him. You start letting go of things in your life. And I'm not just talking about your alcohol addiction. I'm not just talking about your drug addiction. I'm not just talking about your fornication and loose lifestyle. I'm talking about everyday things that seem normal that everybody else does. But they're in your way. And follow me. Everybody shout, follow me. He didn't say accept me. He didn't say believe in me. I preached this here uh, two or three times ago. You can go back and listen to that message. But follow me. It's something that never ends. I don't want to know if you accepted Jesus 25 years ago. I don't, I don't really care if you believe in Jesus because the devils believe in him and tremble. I want to know today, March 19th, 2023, are you following, pursuing him, dying to something today? What did you have to say no to in order to follow Jesus today because that's what a Christ follower is that's what the word Christian means Christ follower not Christ acceptor not Christ believer now Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 you know this is a good time to go to God's word and find out what God's word says you know everybody's worried about banks failing and the economy and inflation, and, and it's rough out there. Can I have an amen? I mean, it's rough out there. People that used to have money at the end of the month have more month at the end of their money now. Senior citizens are going back to work in hotels and restaurants because the same check doesn't do it anymore. I mean, you can't even get a chicken wing for less than $2. Come on, somebody. Unless you go to Publix. They're actually cheaper at Publix than they are at Zaxby's. Now hang with me. I'm not nearly through. So y'all better, better get with me for just a minute. So Jesus sees this day coming. And, and actually it's nothing new. It's always been. This has always been. They lived under the Roman government. Heavy taxation. And, and most of the tax collectors were crooks. Even the soldiers were crooks. You can read about it. John the Baptist is talking to soldiers. says quit extorting money from people. And he looks and he says, don't worry. Don't worry. I see your anxiety. I see it's not working. I'm telling you, I got the answer for you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. The word and, and is a conjunctive word. It's, it's copulative. In other words, what comes after and depends on what comes before and. 
in, in the scripture I, I read to you just a few minutes ago uh, about the order, submit to God, resist the devil, and the end that comes after he will flee depends on the submit to God. And it's also a, a cumulative word, and is it means what comes after and keeps increasing in force and in amount, in quality and in quantity. In other words, you draw near to me and God said, I will run after you. Like my daughter, I'll be hiding around the corner. I'll grab you. I'll pick you up in my arms. And now, and now he says, but seek first. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't, don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about where you're going to live. He, what? What? What are you talking about? Don't worry about it. I'm anxious. I don't know how it's going to work out. He said, no, I don't want you to. I want you to live in freedom. Here's how you live in freedom. But seek first. Everybody shout first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Look, if you'll put me first, if you'll get me back in my place, watch. And, and, remember, it's copulative. What comes now depends on what came before it. All these things shall be added to you. Say it out loud with me. All these things shall be added to you. What? Food, clothes, a place to live. If you keep me in my proper place, it will just come as a part of our relationship. But see, we're trying to claim that without seeking him first. Oh, you are quiet. So how do you know? How do you know? How do you know God's first in your life? I mean, right now, how do you know God's first in your life? How do, I mean, how do you how do you measure it? How do you do a checkup right now? If if, if you was going to say, God, I want you to be first in my life. How how would you how would you look at your life to know? I, I, I don't have the whole answer. I think I've got a good start. Are you ready for this? Put God first every day of your life. Look at somebody and say every day. Not, not every other day or every now and then, but every day. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you how I do it. You don't have to do it like me, but I'm going to tell you how I do it. I take this pretty seriously. So every morning I get up before my wife gets up. I do that on purpose. I don't do it because I necessarily feel like it, but I do it because I want God to be first in my life. I want God to be the first person I talk to every morning. And so before I ever talk to my wife, before I ever check a text, before I ever look at my email, I first talk to God. I want to invite God into my day. I want to thank him that I had a roof over my head and clean water piped into my house and a toilet that flushes all the dirty water out. Can I have an amen? I thank God I got groceries in my cabinet. I thank God that I live this day and that Jesus Christ died 2,000 years ago and I was a part of the plan of salvation. I thank God that Jesus paid it all. all to him I owe. So today, God, I want you to come into my day and today I got to go to work. I got to buy groceries. I got to mow the lawn. But in all of that, I want to please you today. So I talk to him first. Then I open the word of God. I open the, what kind of devotional life do you have? If you don't pray and read your Bible, you say, well, I've heard that all my life. Well, that's because that's what the Bible teaches. If you don't commune with God, how can God be first? You commune with your spouse. You commune with your children, your grandchildren. You commune with your boss and your other fellow employees. Do you commune with God? 
So I opened the Bible. I, I do the one-year Bible. I don't, anybody ever heard of the one-year Bible? I still do it. 24 years in now, I think. And I've read through the Bible 24 times. I don't do that to brag. I couldn't do it. I, I'm ADHD. I just got this little system that's already worked out for me. I didn't have to wonder where am I going to read this morning. I just got up and turned to March 19th, and there it was. Because, because watch this. Before I read your text, I want to read his text. See, see, God, God isn't irrelevant. He knew texting was coming. That's why 200 years ago we were already calling the word of God text. So who's first in your day? I'm just asking you. I'm not condemning you. I'm not, I, I really don't believe God wants me to correct you. I believe God sent me here to direct you. Because the Bible says this, watch. Now, now this scripture is one also found in Matthew chapter 6. And, and I love this scripture. Put that next verse up if you will. I love this scripture. And, and when Jesus quoted it, it's a principle. I think it's verse 21. Is that right? 621. If we can get that up. I believe it is. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm trying to preach without my notes. Everybody say, Lord bless him. Yeah, it's 621. Okay. Now, now, everybody look at me one second. This is a principle that Jesus applied to money. Okay? But it does not only apply to money. It's a principle. A principle applies to everything. There's a lot of things in the Bible that Jesus took an eternal principle and applied it to a subject. It doesn't just go for that subject. He said, for where your treasure is, come on, read it out loud with me, there... Now, 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 let me say something. He, he is talking about money here. But I, I would say this. He used the word treasure because it can mean more than money. And I believe there is something more precious to the people in this room than even money. And that is your time. You know why I believe your time is more precious than your money? You used to cut your own grass. Now you, you pay somebody to cut your grass because you need the time. And money is not as important as your time. You used to wash your own car, but now you go down to Zippy Wash. Come on, somebody. And pay them 20 bucks to wash your car, and they don't even do the inside. Come on, I need a better amen. Why? Because time is a treasure to you. Now, here's what I want to help you understand, David. He did not say, for where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. He could have said that because it's very true. If you want to know what's most important in my life, look where I spend most of my money and where I spend most of my time. Come on. Come on. But that's not what Jesus said. See, Jesus created us. He knew. He knew we'd live in a world that vies for our affection. The Word of God taught us this for thousands of years but in the last hundred years psychologists psychiatrists has proven it to be true they tell you if you want your emotions to be a certain way if you want to have certain feelings certain responses then you have to act first and whatever you act on if you'll be consistent at it your emotions will follow this is how they put marriages back together you don't wait to, till you feel like telling your wife if you love them or buying her some flowers you do it and the more consistently you do it your heart will begin to move that way Jesus knew that so he said if you want your heart to be somewhere put your 
treasure there and put it there day after day after day after day. Get up early every morning. Whatever you have to do, if you'll do it, it'll start as a duty. It'll start as a duty, but it'll end up as a delight because your affections will begin to go there. And then you'll actually won't, won't be able to wait to get up in the morning and talk to God first. I know what some of you are thinking, man, you don't know what my mornings are like. Yes, I do. I see you ladies riding down the road to work, putting your makeup on while you're driving and texting guys. Or now you just hang it up and tell Siri to text for you. Watch this. When God created the heavens and the earth, when God created the heavens and the earth, he didn't create the morning and the evening. Genesis chapter 1 verse 5, and the evening and the morning was the first day. That's why Jews start Monday, Sunday night at 6 p.m. Because that's the way God created the earth. In other words, if you're going to put God first in the morning, you're going to have to change some things you do tonight. And listen to me, if you're sitting here listening to this message and you're going to go home and not apply it, then things are going to stay locked up in your life. If you say, well, I'm going to start it next week, you'll never get around to it. You're going to have to go to bed earlier tonight. You're going to have to quit binging on Netflix tonight. Come on, I need a better amen. If you're going to get up earlier in the morning, it begins tonight. Let me tell you another way to put God first is put God first at the first part of every week. You say, well, I got that when I'm here. Come on, everybody, look at somebody and say, come on, come on, help me. Look at somebody and give them a thumbs up. You're here, you did it. I've, I've preached this verse of scripture, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. I want you to look at this. I've preached this scripture. I've been preaching now for 45 years, since September of 1977. It says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let, let me stop right here. The next, verse, the next verse talks about assembling ourselves together. But let me tell you something. So people now since, since COVID, well, I don't need church. Now I can watch online. It's not about you. It never was about you. He's, before he ever says, assemble yourselves together, he says, consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And he, it's not about you. I don't care what you need. It's what we need. There's other believers that need your encouragement. There's other believers that need you to rock their babies while they can worship God. There's other believers that need you standing at the door to greet them and pick them up when they walk through the doors. They've had a rough week. There's other people that need you to lead worship. So not though, so you can be on a platform, but so that they can be in the presence of God. I mean, it's not about you. It's about you serving the body of Christ. Come on, I need a better amen. If y'all hurry up, I'll, if y'all get a little louder, I'll hurry up. If you don't, I'm going to slow down again. Now watch. Now watch what it says. After you consider, hey, they need me. I've got gifts inside of me. I've got a call on my life. I've got a purpose and a passion, and I need to serve the people of God, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I need to say something. You say, well, I got it. No, you don't. This is not talking about walking in a building and sitting in a chair. That word assemble does not mean gather. See, I'm going to show you something. I got a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. 
Okay. It's all there. It's all in the same place. But it's not assembled. It's not assembled. And until you assemble it, you're never going to see the picture that the puzzle was made for. It's gathered, but it's not assembled. It's not assembled until each piece finds where it fits and gets in its place. And when every piece finds where it fits and gets in its place, the big picture that God had for Grace Family Worship Center to be seen by Hazel Green and this entire region will never be seen. There's too many holes in the picture. There's too many missing pieces. Just because you are here doesn't mean you're assembled. God is calling you today. Put him first every week and not just by showing up for church for an hour and a half, but you find where your gifts are you find you a place to serve you begin to consider one another and you say God use me where you want me to be so that what you have the picture you won't seen by hazel green when they look at Grace Family Worship Center will be seen clearly without any holes or missing pieces listen you work for God Remember what he said, seek first and if you put God first on Sunday, he'll show up on Monday and Thursday and Saturday. Come on, everybody. Now, now let me help you. You've got a ship. You, you say, well, I, I'm coming. It still isn't working. Okay, let me help you. I'm going to tell you why. Because I would, I would, and I'm not a betting man, but I would bet this. The majority of people that are in this building right now, in these seats, you didn't come this morning thinking, I'm putting God first on the first day of the week. I'm gonna serve God and show him he's first place in my life. I'm gonna give of my strength. I'm gonna give of my energy. I am gonna serve. I'm not gonna just sit and soak and sour. I'm not gonna be a lobby lizard that slips in and slumps down and slides out. I'm gonna give myself to the work of God because the rest of my week, I need God to come into where my work is. In fact, if I'm a betting man, most of us came in this room today thinking this is the last day of my weekend. When church is over, I got to run home and get done what I didn't get done yesterday. And that's why it's not working. You got to shift your faith and realize I'm honoring God on the first day of the week. I'm going to give myself to him because I need him to show up in the rest of my world. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something about this, this every morning and this every week thing. I, I just want to tell you right now, it doesn't mean you're still not going to have emergencies. It still doesn't mean doesn't mean you're not going to face some some obstacles that seem insurmountable that there aren't that, that there aren't some things in your life going to still come the wheels are going to come off on them I'm going to tell you the difference is when you put God first when you connect with God at the first of the day and the first of the week when it happens you don't go to pieces you don't fear there is this deep seated confidence because you know you've put God first and the end has power to bring the rest of it to pass in your First part of every pay period. <laughs> it's called tithing. See, 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 you, 
I know, I understand, I understand your struggle. I promise you, I understand your struggle. You say, but you don't realize it, preacher. When I, when I came to Christ, I have two car payments. I have a house payment that's more than I could afford today. I moved in it. And, you know, we've taken a few Disney vacations, and I've still got that on my credit card, and I'm wanting to go back to Disney this year. And you just don't understand, I can't afford to die. That's why he said, if you're going to come after me, you've got to deny yourself. Now, now I'm, I'm, I'm fixing to say something. Y'all going to think, y'all going to think he, he's from somewhere in time past or he's way ahead of his time. What it may actually mean in your life is you got to sell something and downsize. Who, me? God wouldn't ask me to deny myself. You don't need a new car. You don't need a new car. You like a new car. You want a new car, but you don't need a new car. Boy, y'all are getting quiet. Y'all ready for me to wrap this up and go home, aren't you? I'm just being honest. Here's a good philosophy. Sell, sow, and save. You, you, you got, your life's too complicated. You, you got stuff in your garage You've been saving for you might need it one day. And it's been in there 10 years and you had not needed it yet. That's a waste of stewardship. It's rotting down in your garage when somebody else could be using it. Sell it and make some money and pay off your credit card where you can tithe. Deny yourself. Die. Take up your cross. Take up, something's got to die. Some affections are wrong and they've got to die. The culture is pressing you into its smoke. you got to have a big truck, a new Dodge diesel like everybody else. No, you don't. Whew. Okay, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. But before I do, this, this is really, this is really not the biggest concern to me. The, the biggest concern to me, the, the biggest concern to me is, is that some of you used to be here. But you work in the world, go to school and college. And I mean, after all, you need an iPhone 14 Pro Max. You need it. And, 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 and your daughter has to be at ball two nights a week. Travel ball on the weekend, so I've had to buy a camper so we can go camping and go travel ball and hotels are too expensive and we need this because one day my daughter's going to play major league bait no she's not and hey got to go to Disney everybody's got to go to Disney at least one time I don't want to deprive my kids listen listen I didn't have these things when I was growing up I want my kids to have what I didn't have and I tell you, I work so much because I, I don't have the time 
to pull my phone out. I, I just need to be able to read my text on my arm, so I had to get me an Apple Watch. And I need a hobby. I need to get away on the weekend. I need, so I play golf. It's kind of expensive, but it's worth it. That's why I'm going back to school where I can get a better job. So I can't come on Wednesday night. I'm on school on Wednesday night. And, and I tell you, I'm a Roll Tide Bama fan. And, and, you know, and since my son plays football, by the way, that, that takes up, I have to go watch him practice a couple of nights a week and then every Friday night. And then because he's going to play pro one day, I take him to the Bama game on the next Saturday. He plays on Friday night, and, I, and then we go together on Saturday. I got to do that because, you know, he, he's going to be the next superstar. No, he's not. And I, I'll just be honest with you. It's, it's putting so much stress on us. We're going home this weekend. This weekend, we're just going to binge on our latest episodes. Apple TV. Oh, in order for me to do that, I'm going to have to find how I can fit God in. With my new school, I have to get a new computer. It's an amazing how much Apple you got in your life. Facebook, Insta scam. Have you ever noticed them, them apples got a bite out of it? See, that's what happened to Adam and Eve. They just kept biting until God didn't fit. I'm, I'm, I'm going to skip about three or four scriptures. I'm just going to give you one more and I'm going to close. The very next thing after Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He then turned it right back around. Read this. Luke, go straight to Luke 9, 24. Read it out loud with me. Whoever desires to... Hold it. One translation says, whoever tries to hold on to all is going to end up losing it all. But whoever loses, I, I want everybody to stand with me right now. I, I want everybody to stand with me. And, and whatever you have to do to move around, I want you to see this. You can't miss this. Because listen, because listen, pastor will be back Next Sunday, he'll be here Wednesday night. Thank God, I know you'll be glad. But I'm going to tell you something. This is not a sermon you can, you can brush away. And, and, and i tell you what I'd love to do. I'd love to give an altar call and ask you to come and weep and repent. Because that's a scripture I left out. Jesus said that. He said that to a church one day. He said it to a church. He said, you're doing a lot of great things in the community. You have breakfast every Sunday. That's wonderful. He said, but, but here's what I have against you. You've left, not lost. Lo losing something is something you do accidentally. He said, you've left your first love. I want you to realize it used to work in your life. Why is it not working now? 
and I want you to repent. I want you to turn around and go in the opposite direction, and I want you to do what you used to do before you got me crowded out. And then he says, whoever will lose his life. So here's what I'm going to ask you. What are you going to give up? What are you going to, what, what are you going to lay down? What are you going to deny? So that you can get God first in your life again. Because if you keep trying to fit him in and hold on to everything the way you got it. Your relationship's going to become more and more distant. Until one day, it's just walking in, sitting down, listening and leaving. And that's where some of us are today. And I believe God sent me here with a message. Because he wants us to pursue him. But only because he's pursuing us. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Brooding breath of God. Rooting breath of God. There, there is so much in you, ma'am. So much in you, sir. It's being limited. It's being squashed. It's been pushed back. The Holy Spirit is yearning and craving and desiring. He has so much for you. And today, once again, the master's calling. Hey, if you want to follow me, you got to let go of some things. I mean, maybe you need to go home this evening and have a talk with your children and say, look, two sports is too many. Choose one. Because we're going back to church on Wednesday nights. We're going to get involved in the community of believers. We're going to find a place to serve. Maybe, maybe you're going to have to go home and, and say, you know what? We're going to downsize. We're going to put the kingdom of God first in our life. I sense the brooding breath of God all over this room right now. And Lord, I'm not an old guy, but I hear this song. I, I don't know if I've even heard it literally in 30 years, but softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. What's he asking? He's brooding over this place right now. He is speaking to things inside of you right now. He is bringing things to your mind right now. Oh, listen, listen, it may be a little struggle, but on the other side of obedience is a miracle. On the other side of obedience is a miracle. Once you lay down what's in your hand, you can pick up what God has in store for you in his hand. He's just asking. He's just calling. 
I'm going to ask everyone. I, I hope you'll turn off the, the, the Facebook or whatever if it was on it. And, and let's just have a private moment. No one looking around. Every head bowed. Every eye closed for just a moment. For just a moment. I don't know you. I'm not going to tell Pastor uh, anything. 